Hey, what's up? Today we're going to be talking about the stereotype of being a broke musician and the issues with that. We're also going to be talking about some non-broke musicians with Blink-182 getting their original lineup back and charging out the nose for tickets. We're also going to be doing a featured band and answering some questions. Real quick though, the last week and this week have been a little bit slow for podcasts because we just got into a house and I don't even have internet yet. <laughs> Apparently it takes them two weeks to come set up some fiber internet, but also I'm sitting in the office right now and I have no sound treatment up. So hopefully this sounds good enough. But, um, you know, I also want to make sure that when I upload podcasts, they are top quality. And that is something this office is going to be giving once I get my sound treatment in here. And we're also going to be doing video podcasts and getting a bunch of video content up. So I'm very excited for this house and having an office again, because we've been traveling full time for freaking over two years. And so this is going to help us take everything to the next level. Speaking of taking things to the next level, before we get into this, become a member for only $3 today and support the Burn This World podcast. It sounds like a very little amount of money, but collectively, it really does add up for us. And you get a lot of exclusive content for that 3 bucks. You get the icebreaker section where I ask the guests some silly questions before the podcast starts to get the conversation rolling. You also get the after show recap where I review what we talked about personally and give my opinions on it. You also get some unreleased music like random metalcore songs I wrote over the years or Browning songs that I never finished. And you get some behind the scenes Browning stuff like my recording process on the end of existence record. So you get a lot of exclusive content and it really helps us out. Head over to burnthisworld.com and click the become a member button for only three bucks a month. It really goes a long way. Again, burnthisworld.com and click become a member. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for being here. I am Johnny McBee. You're listening to the Burnless World Podcast. So, the standard typical stereotype about musicians, the broke musician, it's always been a stereotype and it's always kind of an issue that that is a stereotype obviously there's musicians out there that are not broke and obviously there's plenty of people that want to put their art out and say they don't care about money and that was me for a long long time um really up until covid because once i wasn't able to tour and make money in that way i realized the issue you know <laughs> it was a big issue the fact that all my income relied on touring. And yes, there's money outside of touring for musicians, but for a lot of people like a band like the Browning, touring is the majority of it by far. And the for me, especially from the time I started this whenever I was, you know, 19, I started it full time, made it a full band, started touring, all that. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm fine with not having a lot of money. I'm just never gonna live beyond my means. I'm always going to be a broke musician, so I'm always going to my expenses are always going to reflect that, you know? But it just led to me forever trying to get the cheapest rent possible, which a lot of times meant living with people, especially when I was younger, to splitting places whenever I was older with friends or family. And just at some point that is not sustainable. Um it really is not. And uh shout out to everybody that really did help me all those years financially um 
specifically Sean and my sister. Uh, very, very big helps to me throughout my music career and through allowing me to be out there trying to get my art out while not concerned about the money side of it. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it wasn't something that could happen forever, but it definitely was something that uh, you kind of put off and that you never really get a grasp of real life money situations when you're living that way. And the problem was that once I realized, you know, I have to make money outside of music now and I have to get into this real life stuff because not only am I, was I just getting older, but also I had a baby on the way, you know, and even with the baby, like I was comfortable with the amount of money I made with having the baby because our costs were so low. Like really we had things set up to where, but we just had no cost of living essentially. Um, but again, it was, we, um, built a tiny house on my wife's parents' property. So like I, uh, besides building the house, which I paid up front for all that, but we had no, no real like bills or anything like that. You know, we had one vehicle that we owned and we we're just chilling. Like, you know, we can afford food and that's all we really had to afford, you know, but you know, you can't live in a tiny house in the woods forever. I guess you can, but it's, um, you know, definitely a little bit different of a lifestyle than is like expected, which, yeah, I'm not the most concerned with doing what's expected of me, obviously, because I'm still a full-time musician, but, um, definitely there's an issue with how the industry is set up that puts people into this mindset that I've had forever since being a young adult. And I, it's like these big realizations I've come to since having money, since starting a business, since just kind of having this financial awakening of what it's like to have money and or um, be used to uh, a certain level of, you know, life. <laughs> and it's that the music industry really does prey on people's hopes and dreams. And I know that that's very, very obvious, but the issue is that it also sets people so far back and messes up their mindset so much that like I, I've never built credit in my life. I come from a poor family. Building credit, you know, having provable income, all this sort of stuff is not something that I was ever taught by family. And I never had to learn until right now. And so not only did I come at a disadvantage of coming from a family that that's not taught to me, but then I immediately got into an industry that doesn't want me to get responsible about life, <laughs> like at all. Because once you really understand like investments and how businesses properly run, like you would understand how ripped off you're being in the music industry. And I think that there is a modern awakening to this that a lot of people are going independent because there's a lot of things that make that possible. Big thing being that a lot of people can produce their own music at a good enough level that they are fine with it, right? Like you don't have to go into a $50,000 studio to be able to put out a good record anymore. And so labels don't hang that budget over your head anymore like they used to. I mean, they do, but it doesn't go as far when someone's like, well, I can just pay my friend who has a MacBook with Logic and it's going to be fine. So people have the independence to be able to produce properly now. And that's a big thing that is going to be changing this mindset because once people realize 
that you don't give away the majority of your royalties. They realize how much more capable you are of not being a broke musician. And much more the opposite. Because now with the way the industry is, you don't have to tour as much. It's just not a standard that you don't have to because it's gotten into people's minds that you can make this money online through so many different outlets by connecting and building. It's almost a passive income through streams and through social medias. And that's sick. Like it is really just um, nice, this change of pace. And because here's the thing about these record contracts, looking at it from a purely investment standpoint and a business standpoint. So say your band is a business, right? And you were going on to Shark Tank and you were promoting your business to Shark Tank to try to get someone to give you money to produce a record, right? No one would accept the deal that the labels give you if it was a shark giving it to you, right? No one would accept it because no one goes on to Shark Tank and give is saying, I want $50,000 and you will get 80% of my company, if not more, <laughs> forever. No one would accept that deal. But that is what's happening in the music industry. You're giving up 80% of your company to these massive labels for not even enough money most of the time for that compensation, right? It's, it's ridiculous. Like at, a, at that sort of evaluation that they do on Shark Tank, like if, if someone's giving you $30,000 and they're taking 80%, that means that they're only valuing your entire company at like 45K or something. You know, I'm not a math genius, but something like that. They're only evaluating the total worth of what you're going to give them at $45,000. Where I've seen the numbers on stuff like this and the, they're raking it in on the investment standpoint, 1 million percent. And so no one would ever accept this deal. Now there are labels that do give better cuts, but it's very rare and likely, um, you know, they're <laughs> hopefully going to push as much, but you never know. Um, but there are, there are the good labels out there, you know? But still, even if a label is taking a lesser cut, say a 50%, you still have to have this evaluation of like, okay, I'll give you 50%, but what is the benefit, you know? What, like, what are you valuing these records at? Like, and you also have to take into account growth as well, you know? And in a lot of contracts, there is growth written in to where you get paid more perpetually. But from my experience, they give you that bare minimum and they they don't raise it. At least for the Browning, they haven't, even though we've like quadrupled five times, six times our numbers, each record. And so it's just a shame that the industry before the way it was set up has gone into the modern world and people are still getting screwed in this way when they don't have to be. But the problem is they tie it in for so long that like, even if I signed a contract when I was 24, by the time I'm 32, I'm still in that contract. Contracts are too long and forever. They're just taking 80% of your business. And so it's just set up for broke musicians to be broke musicians, but don't do it. 
essentially, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Value your band like it's a business. Value it in the way that if you were reaching out to an investor, like say you did want to go to a big studio, you could go to an actual investor, likely, and get a better loan than the label's going to give you in the first place. You can hire the marketing teams yourself. You can hire the video people yourself. You can do it all yourself, and it's better for your business in the end. And so, I'm just saying, being a broke musician has always been a mindset that people have been okay with because you're like, it's about the art. But yes, it is about the art. But at some point, that art dies because things get real. Okay? (laughs) And it's, even if you're someone that doesn't want to have kids or doesn't want to have a family, well, you can't live with your mom forever. You can't live with your, you know, friends from college or high school forever. I mean, I guess you can. I shouldn't say that. (laughs) But realistically, at some point, your motivation is going to go from art to money. And if you don't have your business slash band set up to get you money, then it inevitably is going to die. And especially if you're semi-business savvy, like really, it's it's music is a good passive income. You write a record, you forever make money off of that record as long as you're still growing everything else that's new. It's It's very good. But you have to have it set up properly initially. So we are not in the age of the broke musician anymore. We are in an age where we should have business-minded musicians and where everyone is going to have this awakening, and a lot of people are. You don't need a label. Do it yourself, and you will be super happy about that 10 years down the line when you're not on a contract anymore and you are making money off of your art, not someone else. So let's get into our news story for the day. So we're going to be going from talking about being broke musicians to talking about people that are very much not broke musicians, and that is Blink-182. They made a comeback. Well, I guess comeback more so the original singer came back to the band, so now they are all original again. Tom DeLonge came back to the band, and they put out some new music. And uh, I don't know, maybe people like it. It just sounded very normal to me, but... People like them not for their new music. People like them for the nostalgia of Blink-182. And people will pay a lot of money for nostalgia. But, as you might have seen, uh, I don't know, this new tour they're doing, uh, apparently $600 tickets. I had a friend that posted that they were about to check out. And for two tickets, it was like $1,150 for two just normal tickets, not VIP. Because you can very easily get to that expensive of tickets by doing like VIP packages for festivals. But this isn't a festival. This is just a Blink-182 concert. Probably nothing spectacular either, I would assume. It's not like you're going to see Rammstein, I would guess. But maybe they are doing some cool stuff. But here's the thing about this. like We're talking about business, right? And a lot of this stuff. And so business-wise... At some point, you can't sell more tickets. And this goes to people that are selling at arenas, like Rammstein, Blink-182, and then also people that are drawing a few amount of heads. So say you have like a really small but really dedicated fan base. Like say like every time you go to Des Moines, you draw 100 people, and you're never going to draw more than that. 
but those people are coming out no matter what. If your ticket prices are 20 bucks versus 40 bucks, you're making a lot more money on that $40 ticket, obviously, but the people are coming no matter what. And so like, if you're at a point that you can't draw more people, but the ticket price isn't going to deter anyone from coming, then why not? From the band perspective, <laughs> from the business perspective. And at some point, there's also not really any bigger rooms for some of these bands to go to. Like, they're going to be playing 15,000, 20,000 seaters. And at a $100 ticket, it's going to sell out instantly. I mean, look at Rammstein. I keep bringing them up, but, you know, their tickets are expensive as well. They sold like over a million tickets in like three hours for Rammstein. And those are like probably $150 tickets. So, Blink-182, one of the most legendary bands ever in the history of the planet, doing a comeback tour with their original singer, like $150 tickets, they'll sell out every single show. Now, there's a certain point where the price does get seemingly excessive and makes it pretty obvious like what the point is. And maybe that's how they got him back, you know? <laughs> maybe they're just like, yo, we need to do something and... Maybe they're not in it for long, or maybe it's they just all need money, maybe. Like, and if that's it, like that's it. Maybe they're gonna spend the money on some really important crap. I know the bass player has cancer, uh, or he beat it or something, so he probably has some medical bills. Um, and I don't know, maybe the aliens took all of Tom's money. Uh so <laughs> maybe they just need the money. Maybe it's straight up that simple. They're like, okay, well, for Tom to come back, uh, he needs this much money, which means, let's do the math, uh, $600 tickets. All right, let's do it. And uh, I don't know. I think that this does seem a little excessive that maybe they won't sell out some of these shows. But, I mean, do that math real quick. Even if it's 10,000 seats at $600 a piece, I don't know why someone else is doing this math in their head immediately, but I have to pull out a calculator. 600 times 10,000, 6 mil. So if you can make 6 mil on a show, that's not including merch. Merch is always huge at these things, but also they're probably going to charge $50, $60 on a shirt now. That's what it was when I bought a Rammstein shirt. So, I mean, maybe they're looking to walk away with 10 mil per show. <laughs> that's the goal. He's like, that's what I need, $10 million a show. Take it or leave it. And I mean, they're definitely going to take it. And I don't know exactly how these go up, but there's a lot of service fees. That's one really annoying thing about these big things is they are ran by companies that take percentages and, you know, you're paying a 15% service fee on a $400 ticket. You're talking an extra $60 or something like just for a service fee. It does get excessive, but I think that there's something to take away from this from even the smaller standpoint like clearly no one listening to this podcast cares about you know selling you know 10,000 tickets per show but if you're you know if you're supporting a band that is like a smaller band and it's a bit of a little bit more of expensive of a ticket like say you want to go see your favorite band and they're playing a small club and it's 45 50 ticket like just think about it from this perspective like Maybe they have bills that they need to do. Maybe they're people with like three kids and, you know, everyone in the band has a mortgage and they're like, I got to pay my freaking bills. And especially with the cost of expenses, like that could honestly be a big thing going into their expenses. I would bet that their expenses are freaking 
a few hundred thousand dollars a day, <laughs> like straight up. I mean, just even in rentals for these facilities, you know, you're talking crazy expenses. But let's talk from the smaller perspective, like these bands that have kids, have mortgages, car payments, all this sort of stuff. If if they're drawing 200 people and they're charging, you know, $50 a ticket, well, I guess they have to. We're not in the age of, you know, $15 metal concerts anymore. These normal shows, like, you know, if you're going to see, say, freaking Dayseeker or something, you're probably paying a $25 ticket, I would assume. You know, when a show like that might have used to have been $10, you know? I was very surprised on this last Browning tour that some of our shows were like a $15 ticket. Um, but that's because we wanted a lot of heads to come out, you know? And I think that like the next time we go out, it'd probably be $25 tickets. Depends on the size of the package too, how many bands are playing. But really it just goes into that ticket cost goes more into the band's pocket. So you are supporting the, the artist by paying the higher ticket price. Because I, I would guarantee that, you know, the, the bands come in with a guarantee. Say Blink-182 said to the promoters, like, we need $5 million a show. And the promoter was like, well, the only thing I can make have that guarantee for you is by having $600 tickets. They're like, sounds good to us. We'll take the five mil, you know? <laughs> and so it's just you got to make it happen to bands to get through, especially with expenses being through the roof and everyone getting old. Like, there's no young bands out there. like. Can you think of one like band that is popular and touring right now that has like 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds? It's not like it used to be, like straight up. Every band right now, mid-20s to 40s on average, straight up. And so we're not kids anymore out there touring, able to just live in the van forever and you know make $10 a day. No one's like that. So ticket prices are going to go up. Merch prices are going up. Everything's going up, but it does support the artist. So you can, <laughs> maybe that can make you feel a little bit better, but maybe not. All right, let's get into some questions. So Lewis Collin asked, Hey man, big fan of the podcast. It made me really get into the Browning. Was going to ask what that type of really heavy EDM you put in the songs is. This is a good question. Um, and it's something that, uh, I don't know if he's European or American or anything like that, but a lot of Americans don't know of this genre and I love it because it is the heaviest. Like he said, what is that really type of heavy, heavy EDM you put in? It's the heaviest EDM, at least in the sense of like straight drive and power, which is why I wanted to combine it with metal in the first place. It's the most driving, most powerful and also the darkest EDM out there. And that is hard style specifically like from the Netherlands, like Dutch, Hard style, that's my jam. And uh, I, there's a few different subgenres of hard style as well. Cause I'm, I'm not the biggest connoisseur of hard style, but there are parts of hard style that I absolutely love, which is the like similar to the parts that are in the Browning. And that is the big, melodic, big, huge climax parts of them. Cause hard style has a lot of just like, grooves going just some straight up just like grooves with some rhythmic stuff happening that inevitably drops and then does big melodic builds in these huge climactic EDM parts and uh that's the stuff I love I wanted to combine the heaviest dance music with the heaviest metal now there are some heavier styles of dance music like I had them on the podcast but this beatboxer named Azel 
He is really into this style called Rhythm, R-I-D-D-I-M. And I've been listening to a little more of that just through his Instagram and whatnot. And really, that style is heavy. It reminds me of breakdowns and everything like that. So there's some thoughts with maybe combining some rhythm as well. But hard style itself, um, if I had to give you a reference and listen to the old stuff, I haven't listened to any new hard style. Listen to the old stuff. Headhunters with a Z on the end. Headhunters. Donkey rollers. That stuff. Those are my jams. And I got into it from playing a lot of DDR or, you know, Step Mania on the computer. And I just got into hardstyle because, you know, I was playing the fastest, heaviest songs on these dance games and just got me really into hardstyle. And I wanted the fastest, heaviest dance music with the fastest, heaviest metal. And uh, that's where it really came from. And I, I still love those parts. Um, if you watch this specific video, there's a very specific video that I just love from old hard style and that is if you watch headhunters at climax 2009 and it's climax with a q q l i m a x headhunters at climax 2009 that video kind of changed my perception forever it was just so dark there's big huge choirs there's these big builds and these drops just absolutely love it and i would i would love to i've i've always implemented more elements of it as well just even in the types of melodies that I write for the Browning, it's the hard style melodies. And uh, I want to get into more of it. Honestly, I just did a full hard style remix for this remix record I'm working on right now for the Browning. And I did a remix of um, No Man Can Become a God. And it is awesome. Like, I want to do it with more of the Browning songs because a lot of the synths are just straight up hard style synths, um, even if it doesn't have a hard style part. So, yeah, European hard style. Gotta love it. And if you guys want to send me some questions, just hit me up on Instagram. Send me a DM with a question and, uh, you know, I'll get it answered on here. And I need more questions too. This is the only one I got. I didn't ask for any questions. So this is just one that was sent to me. So send me some questions about anything. Just go to Johnny McBee on Instagram, shoot me a DM and uh, we'll get it answered. So let's get into our featured band for the week. The featured band for this week is a band called X Codex. They just dropped a music video for their song called Sun God. Now, I became known of X Codex through my Patreon, actually. They were uh, paying me for some private song reviews for us to get together and talk about their music. Well, whenever I heard their stuff, there was just too much potential for me not to want to be involved in a more extensive way because it was so much up my alley. If you're a fan of the Browning, you absolutely will be a fan of X Codex. They just had this vibe initially that was like old school Static X meets like modern metalcore with like the Browning and just very powerful, straightforward driving music that has all the melody and, you know, sci-fi aspects that I just love. And so make sure the song is called Sun God. And the band is called X Codex. They just dropped a really nice music video. And these are some really good dudes, too. Um, I wanted to be involved with them so much, I ended up mixing the record, helping them along the way through songwriting. And I've heard the new stuff they're working on, too. And they really took that private reviews and the songwriting sessions. And they have really capitalized on it and writing some really, really good music. So make sure to go to YouTube. Do right when you leave this. YouTube X Codex 
sun god watch that music video really good dudes always nice to support good people that are putting out good music so again thank you for being here listening to the burn this world podcast and thank you for being patient while the uploads are a little bit slower as i get my new office put together so stoked for the video content that we're going to be able to do here and get everything going to the next level very very stoked and thank you for being patient and if you really want to support this effort head over to burnthisworld.com click the become a member button for only three dollars a month you can support everything that i'm trying to do and uh help pay those bills for this new house and office that we got <laughs> really three dollars a month doesn't sound like a lot individually but we can really build this up and it's all going to just make me investing into this even better and i appreciate you guys being here and we'll see you in the next one peace out